I don't have an answer on this, and this is very challenging, is, is in the application process. Should someone disclose or not? Well, I think it depends upon the, upon the attitudes of the company. See, this is the problem. There's been some very bad discrimination, really bad. I've gotten emails about this where someone was in a job and then they disclosed and they ended up getting fired for some made up reason. Welcome back to another episode of Adulting on the Spectrum. I'm joined by Temple Grandin, self-advocate and published author, and John Frizzell, legendary Hollywood composer and self-advocate. Welcome back, guys. It's good to be here. Thanks. It's good to be here, Eileen and, and Dr. Grandin. We have uh, another question from, uh, from Kelvin, who's uh, an, an author. He writes uh, comics. And the question is, my name is Calvin Nye. I run my own business and I self-published a book about a superhero with autism. How do you guys engage with other people and try to have them take you seriously as an artist? I find that people who look at me tend to see me as, because I'm on the spectrum, I will be difficult to work with. And I'm trying to figure out what are the best steps to actually be taken seriously. I think, again, get the work out there. And I never disclosed to my cattle clients for, you know, until the movie came out. They thought it was weird. Just get out there and sell the work. Dr. Vanna, you didn't disclose your autism until until the movie? Yeah, basically. I not, didn't know that. No, I didn't. The movie, you know, disclosed it for me. Um, I would just say, like for an accommodation, I need to write down Okay, I did some advertising. Do I need to write down what you want advertised in this advertising? Let me just write it down. You know, I, I would I'd ask for that. Um, so I had the clear guidance. That's something that I that I needed. Also, when I started out in the 70s in the cattle industry, being a woman was 10 times a bigger problem than autism ever was. And where I got most of my problems was with foreman level. Middle management is where almost all my problems were. So it was your work that made people take you seriously? You're That's simply right. My work. And then when I started writing for the magazine, I got a reputation that when I covered the Arizona cattle feeders meeting, I summarized those speeches accurately. And I got respect for that. John, do you have any insight on that question? Well, I went through, so Hollywood, you know, being this very, very social type of thing. I started, my career really started from my work. But then I started to go to a lot of interviews and meetings and my, and quite honestly, my, my success rate in getting the job from a meeting was low. And um, my agents would have me take courses and, and study this book and read this by Tony Robbins and that. And, I, and these things are great. I mean, you know, self-help stuff can be very, very effective. But I think what I ran into is I, I learned a bunch of little tricks that could make me look, do a decent meeting, but it was shallow. It was it was eventually shallow and um, and 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 just sort of like masking taken to an extreme level. Um, I think that what we'd like to have is a world where we can really be confident in being ourselves. You know, I know Calvin a bit, and he's wonderful. And um, if we can just be confident and create a world where we can be more confident in really being who we are, it's the to me that's the 
that's the best yeah. thing. Well, you know, and there's a whole controversy about masking and the kind of uh, social stuff I have a difficult time with is this rapid chit chat where people chit chat back and forth really rapidly and kind of laugh and rhythm. I can't follow it. It just goes too fast. I tend to do it at a party. Just go over and talk to this person for a little bit. And I've learned not to talk their head off, maybe for 10 minutes, and then go talk to somebody else. But in group conversations, I have problems with interrupting. And that's because of my processor speed. I simply can't figure out the gaps quick enough on when to break into the conversation. I, it's exactly the same thing for me. And I try to map it out in my head and I get it wrong. I say too little, I say too much. Um, I, I, I give, you know, too little information. It's, and so this is, this is uh, kind of the dilemma, but, but my sort of philosophical take on it is, you know, just be yourself. Um, that's, I think ultimately will lead to the best life. Um, and then we need to, what we need to do is to work towards a world which will let us be different. That's nice. That's like it said, different, not less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always forget that this is your quote, uh, Dr. Grandin, because it's everywhere now, different, not less, but it's such a short, accurate statement that I think it's really stuck I, in people's minds. Another Another Dr. Grandin quote, which I want to get out there, which is my favorite, if it wasn't for autistic traits, we'd still be in caves. And so That's uh, right. I, I do I do really believe that, the, that we need to be perhaps a little more adamant about our right to be the way we are and that we have contributed as a group of people an enormous amount to the world. And I don't think that it's properly recognized. I don't oh, think I, I would people... agree with that. And and um, in talks that I've given, I mean, Einstein was probably autistic. Steve Jobs was probably autistic. Elon Musk was autistic. Well, he should have stuck with engineering. I really admire his rockets and his cars, but you know, Twitter is too social. I <laughs> um, should have stuck with the rockets and the cars. I really admire his engineering. Oh, I love his engineering. Uh, he should have stayed with the engineering. And I've been read, read the new book about him on by Walter Isaacson, and he had like three successful companies. He just couldn't just be satisfied with that. Now his engineering is absolutely fantastic, but but Twitter, uh, he should have left it alone. And also in saying that, that that I think that we need that, that autistic people need to be stronger and more adamant about our contribution to the world. Also to keep in mind the enormous challenges of. Of you know of of say a nonverbal autistic person and the, the, the challenges, the range of autistic well, person is and gigantic. I think they've gotten they've gotten the category so broad because in the eighties you had to have speech delay to be autistic. Then they went and took the Aspergers when there's no speech delay, merged everything all together, and then um, there are some nonverbals. So I'm a big proponent of teaching them how to type. Just typing on a tablet, and you need to use a tablet. Not a laptop, not a desktop. Because the problem we got with this desktop, this keyboard's way down here. So look at this. That print appears way up here. They cannot make the attention shift. You have to have a keyboard next to where the print appears, and you get that in a virtual keyboard. Tablet, plain, ordinary tablet with either Word or text messaging on it. It can be some old broken tablet. If you can do those things, they can learn to type on it. And then you find out they've got a good brain inside there on many of them. I'm a big proponent of it teaching typing, 
Um, I talked to a lot of low income communities that don't have access to fancy devices, but you can usually find old tablets around. And if they, they can do a text messaging, you don't send the text messages or a word program on it, um, they can learn typing on that. Yeah, and there are also now insurance companies actually will cover an AAC device now with a script from a speech language pathologist. Um, not all insurance companies, but a lot of them. Okay. And AAC devices are becoming easier to get, thankfully. My well, oldest, good. yeah. My that's son who's good. 10 is using a AAC. He's been using AAC since he was three. He's still nonverbal, but he can communicate ba basic needs. No feelings, you know, so it's still very basic communication, but it's helped a lot with his frustration. So I love that we're talking about uh, how broad the spectrum well, you, is. You have to have a way to communicate. Well, if you have a nonverbal, non-speaking person and they get upset, let's look at the three things that make up frustration with not being able to communicate. I can remember that as a child when I couldn't talk. It was so frustrating. And then the other thing is sensory overload. Did it happen at the train station? Did it happen in the busy, super busy Walmart? That would probably be sensory overload. And then the other thing, they may have a painful medical problem that they can't tell you about. Maybe their stomach hurts. Or they have a toothache or an earache or a urinary tract infection, something they can't tell you about. Uh, those are your three things. If there's a behavior problem that uh, you got to look at. Yeah. And then there are autistic people who have intellectual disability and who just like, you know, it's hard for them to even use an AC device and to understand the concept of typing or using pictures to to communicate so well you see and the thing is there's all these different levels and and then some of them have very severe epilepsy on top of it that might not be right. controlled and that's going to mean more problems than they have to be medicated heavily to control the epilepsy um so yeah. you've got this great big range mm -hmm. but the thing is, even the you know some of the non-verbals they know the difference between real work and fake work and if you give them busy work, it's going to make them mad. They need something that they know is a useful, real job. Okay, like, a, okay, mopping a floor is useful work. You know, you see, you know uh, stocking shelves is useful work. Taking pegs and sticking them in and out of holes is busy work that's just going to make them mad because they know it's busy work. It's not real work. They know the difference. Our next question is actually from uh, the SVP of uh, Sunny. The question is, because there are so many different aspects of being on the spectrum and because people on the spectrum might sometimes be concerned about sharing their diagnosis with employers, are there pointers on how a prospective employer can read the room to ask the right questions and to provide accommodations to create a healthy work environment for well, let's talk about the specific accommodations the most common LED lights that flicker bullet point pilots checklist type you know written instructions avoiding long strings of um, verbal instructions also you have to make sure that co-workers are not bullying also some of these people will need sensory breaks They'll need some time where they can just go off and chill, walk around outside or something. So that's four things there. Um, everyone's talking about accommodations way too vaguely. And yeah. these, I've been doing these talks for a long time and things I've just discussed are the accommodations that come up the most often. 
especially the written instructions, you don't say to someone on the autism spectrum, you're not a team player. That's too vague. You might say, you called Jim a stupid idiot at a, at a project meeting. Uh, that's not acceptable. You need to apologize for that. You tell them what they should do. The other thing, hygiene. Um, there are some places you're going to have to conform some. I dress eccentric, but I there's a scene in the movie where the deodorant got slammed down and said, you stink, use it. Uh, you have to clean it up. You cannot be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. You just cannot be. That's one thing you do have to do to conform. What do you think, John? Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the interview process. Um, it's a great okay. question from, uh, from, from the Sony music team here from, 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 uh, from Sony. Um, and this is again from Simon Baron Cohen's book, Pattern Seekers. It says, but many autistic people wouldn't get a chance to demonstrate what they could do if they had to go through the standard job interview, which inadvertently discriminates, discriminates yeah, right. against autistic people. The result is that many autistic people who experience high levels of social anxiety, so why ask them to go through a standard job interview, which might just be setting them up to fail? So um, I think that, that the job interview needs to be re-examined and redefined and recreated. Um, one of the things I've read about uh, is taking um, an autistic applicant into a room and giving them a complex puzzle to solve and watching and talking through it and see how the puzzle solving goes. Rather than if I sit in a, if I go to a loud restaurant to meet on a film to talk about a project, I'm so distracted by the sound, I can't really hear anything. And if I don't have a clear subject of what we're talking about, I don't really get to show what I'm good at. If I were to walk into a room with a director and they said, hey, look at this scene, what's wrong with the music? I'm on, I'm ready to go. But you have to give me a problem and you can't put me in a distracting environment to do it. So I think this vague notion of meeting people, of going into a room and having this interview, which is really a social conformity test, needs to be put under the spotlight, re-examined, and I, I, I think I it's I would agree with that. And when I've gone out to eat, I said, let's go to someplace that's quiet so I can hear, because I simply cannot hear with the background noise. I've never have been able to. Yeah, I mean, there's studies that show that, it, that an autistic listener, if you put in, you know, if you take headphones and have one word set of words coming in the left ear one in the right that it almost becomes impossible to understand anything I, I i get completely lost in certain environments sonically but in other environments i'm incredibly precise and i can remember almost everything that goes on in, in more detail than a lot of people so i think the interview process needs to be really re-examined well i i would agree with that i i tell people to avoid it if possible and, and look for back doors I'm yeah. a big fan of back doors. They're everywhere. Sometimes I thought, well, what would happen if I waved a magic wand and I'm 18 years old, but I still have my knowledge, but I couldn't do algebra. You know, what would I do? I couldn't graduate from high school. Well, I'm really good at seeing back doors and I like construction. And there was this trailer that was over by the Amazon warehouse that was building. And it said, we're hiring. I got the name of the trailer and I looked it up online and they were hiring electricians apprentices. If I was 18 years old, I'd head right for that trailer because I want to design the next Amazon warehouse. I've seen people do that in the in the meat industry. Start out on the line, 15 years later, they're designing a new plant addition. Seen it happen. Go straight in the back door. And I see the back doors all the time. I'm too old now to go up to that trailer now. But you better believe it. I saw it's gone now. The trailer's gone now. But I saw it on the way to the airport. It's like a, I'm just a magnet for seeing potential back doors. A, a sign on a construction site and the superintendent's phone number was on it. 
How about people who are not good at seeing those back doors? Well, first of all, they one of the things is letting them know they exist. Right. See, this this is part of it, and that's something very early on. I, I figured that out, and getting that job for that magazine enabled me to go to a lot of meetings and meet the right people. I mean, I'm just thinking that someone might be listening to this right now when uh, this podcast and thinking to themselves, hey, how can I look at this situation differently? How can I find that back door? How can I set myself apart through my work where I'm not trying to sell the personality and come up with a clever, cool plan to to cut through? Is that but it is harder to, the other thing is you have to think about that so many job applications, you send in a resume and it gets filtered through a, you know, a, 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 a AI programs that then oh, accelerate certain things to the you top. You got to short circuit that. I, half of all good jobs are backdoor. It's just personal connections. I'm, I went, when I, uh, I visited Apple, I uh, met a young engineer and he was from the Midwest. And I said, well, how did you get out here from the Midwest? His professor knew somebody. It was that simple. I, I I see that all the time. Yeah, I've sat yeah I've sat next to all kinds of interesting people on airplanes. I mean, maybe maybe the idea yeah airplanes are good too. I've I've had some good ones on there too. But yeah. maybe there's a way that we can talk about um, expanding this back door for autistic people. Maybe there are techniques and ideas and models that we can use that we can think about. Um, creating a larger backdoor or more avenues. Well, the other problem I'm seeing is parents that overprotect their kid. And when I've confronted them about their child not knowing how to go shopping by themselves, they one mom says, I can't let go. Now, the, the little sewing job I got, that was backdoor. That was just done in the neighborhood. And mother just went and talked to the seamstress and offered up my services to her. Said I was very, very good at hand sewing, which I was. It was my very first job for money. I mean, I think that point about that that kids have to get some some stress, some some challenge, and 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 for instance, what you said, Dr. Grandin, about overprotecting your ears—they just get more sensitive, and then that can probably apply to almost every attribute. Um, and well, over but on the other hand, you better, you have the headphone with you, so you have control. Right. Like, right. Okay, I was at the airport, and this alarm went off. Now, I walked away from it. I can tolerate it. But let's say I'm one that wouldn't. If I had the headphone with me, then I could slap on the headphone. Have it with me in case it was really annoying. I couldn't wait to get away from it. And finally, it stopped. Uh, but uh, you have it with you. It helps to give you control. But when everything's just quiet, you don't wear it. Right. And, and, and if you think about that analogy, of just, that's one aspect. But if, if too many aspects are then protected and become oversensitized, uh, this can be a problem for uh, getting into the job market, I think. Well, it is a problem. And I've heard uh, some uh, stories where I've talked to parents where their child wore a headphone so much that quiet dinner conversation in the quiet home got to be overwhelming. You don't right. want that to happen. I, I have to, for me, you know, the, the, the clanking dishes, I, I wear my earplugs so much, but I, I, I probably will think about this now a little bit more about pushing myself a little more, Dr. Grandin, because I do probably overprotect. Well, you always have them with you. You see, yeah, that's I, the control. That's the control, having them with you. you see, right when here. Your child controls, <laughs> you have them with you. They'd be in your pocket. You have them with yeah. you. 
And when the child controlled the vacuum cleaner, the vacuum cleaner went from being a horrible, noisy thing to the fun thing to play with. How can job candidates who are on the spectrum signal to hiring manager that they are on the spectrum? More importantly, how can hiring managers ask the right questions to make sure they're successfully understanding those candidates and what they could bring to the organization? Well, again, that's very vague. Now, I have to use construction and animal examples, so that's my industry. But um, let's say I'm running a construction site steel and concrete work. Uh, what can a person do? Can he weld? Make a weld. They're hiring. Okay, here's a welder. You can do it. Nice speed, you're hired. You know, that's the way the construction manager is going to look at it. Uh, now, the things they will not tolerate at work is throwing tools and any kind of violence. Uh, that's not tolerated in a construction site. You will be instantly fired for that. You cannot throw things. But as long as you don't do that, and the real filthy, dirty slob thing, uh, let's get that cleaned up. And there's lots of things you can use now that uh, you have so many choices. Uh, but even on a construction site, that would not be tolerated. You, and when they I want think, the dirt to be from the concrete, not from BL. <laughs> I think, you know, we're, we're honing in on the question about whether to disclose autism in, in a job application or not? And this is a really difficult question. Well, it's difficult. And I think if, if, if you, I've heard some sad stories where there was some really bad discrimination. So if a job's going well, I wouldn't disclose. I would say to somebody, I need a pilot's checklist, just like a pilot does to write down what you want me to do. Okay, maybe that's a form of disclosure, but what that's do you do a very, the, very common accommodation that's needed. How about in the application process though? And this is what, I don't have an answer on this. And this is, very challenging is is in the application process. Should someone disclose or not? Well, I think it depends upon the kind of the attitudes of the company. See, this is the problem. There's been some very bad discrimination, really bad. I've gotten emails about this, where someone was in a job and then they disclosed and they ended up getting fired for some made up reason. So, uh, I mean, I worked with so many engineers that I know were on the spectrum. Um, one of them punched a plant manager in the nose. He was fired for that. Uh, NASA will not tolerate that. Got you know, a briefcase down a hall at NASA, and he was fired. You know, I, I'm I'm left-handed, and I can go back in history, and I can find you know go back a few centuries, and that's something that I I wouldn't be able to disclose. I mean, I I yeah. gotta say, I hope that in my lifetime I get to see where disclosing autism is as safe and secure as saying you're left-handed. In other words, I think it's- well, And I think that I think that's absolutely wonderful. And and uh, it's kind of like, um, I'm what I'm doing right now, the movie disclosed me, basically. Everybody knows about that. Um, it, it is a problem. Now, of course, you get other people where the autisms are much more obvious than either you or me. They have to disclose. The last question from BMI is, should you or should you not disclose your autism diagnosis when interviewed for a job? At the Denver airport, United Airlines 
as um, people with different developmental disabilities helping passengers with the check-in kiosks. You know, these are people where the skill level's lower than, than either you or me. Yeah, and they obviously are disclosed. And that's actually worked out quite well. Okay, that's a specific example. Of, of, and it's a real job. I mean, you have somebody that's new, they don't know how to work the kiosks. Okay, see, that's something positive that United Airlines did at the Denver airport. And I have met with them. I, uh, I had a picture with them. I've seen them helping other passengers. And these are people where, this, where they're, they're not at our level, the high professional level. But they do a good job of showing somebody how to, how to use a kiosk to check in or to check their bags, or help put the tags on the bags, do those sort of things. Okay, now that's a positive thing, a specific example. In answering this, I should first disclose I am a BMI affiliated composer. So just to, to make sure, but the answer I have to this question. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a college, I'm a university professor. So should a, um, should someone disclose or not? Um, it depends on the person. It depends on the situation. But again, I'm going to go back to what I would like to see is a world where it was just commonplace, where where you know the, the the rewards were seen that the companies were are aware of the value of autistic employees and um, know that there may be some a, a few things that that make it more productive and and more conducive to an autistic person working. But um, I want to see a world where the where I can say unequivocally yes. I can't say that now. Well, and I again think in specific examples is a book by the head of Walgreens. And they changed the computers in their uh, warehouses, so you didn't have to read to use the warehouse computer. And their clients, so they had different all kinds of they had autism and other intellectual disabilities, and those people did a better job in the warehouse than the regular people did. And then I had dinner with one of their top managers, and I said, "Well, if you had five warehouses, uh, did all five of those managers buy in?" He said, "It was about twenty percent of the warehouse managers where they had problems with um, with them buying in." And in that situation, I'd have to get rid of that warehouse manager. I found similar things with cattle handling. You've got to get top management's going to decide they're going to handle cattle right, and they're not going to beat them up and do things right. But the Walgreens and what United Airlines is doing, uh, those are positive things. Coffee shops run by people, again, they're, this is at a lower level than either one, you or me. And those have been very successful. One of the biggest barriers to that is transportation because most of them don't drive. So getting to work at their coffee shop or their restaurant, I've talked to people that have run these programs, some really good programs. And that's one of their, their, one of their big expenses they have to deal with is getting them to work. One in five people, only one in five people with disabilities, including autism, are employed. Only one in five. That's a pretty scary stat right here. Well, yeah. the thing where they with the company where they lost the um, the champion, uh, they had a blind person on a computer job, and when the computer was updated, she quit, and nobody bothered to go down to her workstation and find out what she couldn't do on the computer when they upgraded the software. Oh, might have been easy to fix. That's it's so sad. Terrible that happened. I I didn't hear that story. Was that in the news? Is that well? No, I it it was a client I consulted oh. with on on autism employment and and I can't go into the name of the company that was a major brand but it was 
in their corporate office. And the thing I have found on where you get really good things happening, you've got to have higher ups in the company behind it. The bosses have to be behind it. That's essential. Mm -hmm. So John Temple, any last words on employment? I just want to go to the conundrum, and this is a big conundrum of disclosure because it is a conundrum. If there's going to be, say, a, uh, uh, you know, if they're going to get rid of the personal, if the personal interview model is going to get refined, how do you know who to do that for, and how do you know who not to do that for? Um, so this is this is kind of I'd like to say I have an answer here, but I don't currently, and that's what I'm really working on. I'm, I'm going to I really well, want. Well, to... how about how about give them a choice? You can do a um, verbal interview, or we can come in and show off your skills. That's a good idea. Yeah. That the interview process becomes that that becomes a more flexible process where the person being interviewed can sort of describe how they can best be interviewed. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. I think that's it. Yeah. How how are you best to be interviewed? And then and then there's and there's room for that person to not disclose their autism. But but to also design an interview process, which they know could be advantageous for them displaying their skills. Well, the other thing is, when I displayed my drawings to people, I didn't show them to the human resources department. I showed them to the plant manager or the rancher, uh, somebody that was going to appreciate those drawings. Now, what they've been doing in some of the tech companies is bringing them in and 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 you know have, giving them some programming tasks and stuff and kind of seeing what they can do. That's already being done in some of the tech companies. I like this idea of jobs. I like this idea that we just hit on of the model of the of the designing your own interview process. I like this idea. I like it too. It just makes sense because it fits neurotypical people and autistic people because people have a choice. And I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, if people take anything out of this interview we just did, I think that's a good takeaway. Well, good. I think this has been really wonderful. And, and John, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with both of you, Dr. Grannon. Um, and your your writing is magnificent and, and an, an enormous contribution to the world and to autistic people. I just enjoy speaking with you guys. You know, every time it's a pleasure. So so thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed being here. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thank you.